Exposition of the Apostles' Creed, Section 22. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mark Warner. Exposition of the Apostles' Creed by James Dodds. Article 8. I Believe in the Holy Ghost. The eighth article of the Creed declares belief in the third divine person, the Holy Ghost. The words, I believe, implied in every clause, are here repeated to mark the transition from the second to the third person of the Trinity. While this doctrine underlies all the teaching of the Old Testament scriptures, it was yet in a measure not understood or realized by the Jews. And as Christ came to make known the Father, so to him we owe also the full revelation of the Holy Spirit. Prophets and psalmists had glimpses of the doctrine, but they lived in the twilight and saw through a glass darkly many truths now clearly made known. While we speak freely of spiritual life, our conception of it is so vague that we are apt to overlook or to regard lightly the work of the Holy Spirit in redemption. The disciples of John, whom Paul met at Ephesus, believed in Jesus and had been baptized, and yet they told the apostle that they had not so much as heard whether there was any Holy Ghost. John tells us that even while Jesus was on earth, the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. That the Holy Ghost is a person and not, as some hold, a mere energy or influence proceeding from the Father, or from the Father and the Son, is apparent from the passages of Scripture which refer to Him. An energy has no existence independent of the agent, but this cannot be maintained with reference to the Holy Ghost. He is associated as a person with persons. In the baptismal formula and in the apostolic benediction, the Holy Spirit is spoken of in the same terms as the Father and the Son, and is therefore a person as they are persons. He is said to possess will and understanding. He is said to teach, to testify, to intercede, to search all things, to bestow and distribute spiritual gifts according to His will. The Holy Ghost addresses the Father and is therefore not the Father. He intercedes with the Father, and so is not a mere energy of the Father. Jesus promised to send the Spirit from the Father, but the Father could not be sent from or by Himself. It is said that the Spirit, when He came, would not speak of Himself, a statement that cannot apply to the Father, and while Christ promised to send the Spirit, He did not promise to send the Father. The Holy Ghost is not the Son, for the Son says He will send Him. He is another Comforter who speaks and acts as a person. The Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. The arguments for the distinct personality of the Holy Ghost prove also that he is God. The baptismal formula and the apostolic benediction assume his divinity. The words of Christ with reference to the sin against the Holy Ghost imply that he is God. And Peter affirms this doctrine when having accused Ananias of lying to the Holy Ghost, he adds, Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. Paul also asserts it when, in arguing against sins of the flesh, he affirms that the body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, and also declares of it that the temple of God is holy. Divine properties are ascribed to the Holy Spirit. Thus, omnipotence is attributed to him. The Spirit shall quicken your mortal bodies. Omniscience, the Spirit searcheth all things. Omnipresence, whither shall I go from thy Spirit? Divinity is attributed to the third person in the statement that holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. 
taken in connection with the other statement, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. Jesus was conceived by the Holy Ghost, and because of this, though born of a woman, he was in his human nature the Son of God. The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Each of the three persons has part in the work of redemption. The Father gave the Son, and accepted him as man's sin-bearer and sacrifice. The Son gave himself, and assumed human nature that he might suffer and die in the room instead of sinners, and the Holy Ghost applies to men the work of redeeming love, taking the things of Christ and making them known, till they produce repentance, faith, and salvation. The Father's gift of the Son and the Son's sacrifice of himself are of the past, the work of the Holy Spirit has gone on day by day, ever since the risen and glorified Redeemer sent him to make his people ready for the place which he is preparing for them. It is through him that we understand the Scriptures and receive power to fear God and keep his commandments. He comes to human hearts, and when he enters he banishes discord and bestows happiness and peace. Then with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and the fruits of the Spirit are manifested in his life. The love of the Father and the redemption secured by the Son's incarnation and passion fail to affect us if we have not our share in the Spirit's sanctification. There is a sense in which the Holy Ghost comes nearer to us, if we may so speak, than the other persons of the Godhead. If we are true believers, the Holy Ghost is enthroned in our hearts. He dwelleth with you and shall be in you. Our bodies become the temples of the Holy Ghost. It is through him that the Father and the Son come and make their abode in the faithful. We are made a habitation of God through the Spirit. If any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. When we consider the work he carries on in convicting men of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment, and in converting, guiding, and comforting those whom he influences, we can understand that it was expedient for us that Christ should go away, in order that the Comforter might come. If we are receiving and resting on Jesus as our Savior, then His Spirit is within us as the earnest of our inheritance. His presence imparts power such as no spiritual enemy can resist. How different were the apostles before and after they had received the gift of the Spirit? One of them, who before denied Christ when challenged by a maid, afterwards proclaimed boldly in the presence of the hostile Jewish council, We ought to obey God rather than men. Those who, when he was apprehended, had forsaken him and fled, gathered courage to brave kings and rulers as they preached salvation through him. The disciples, who, in accordance with Christ's injunction, awaited the descent of the Spirit, were on the day of Pentecost clothed with power, before which bigotry and selfishness passed into faith, and charity and self-surrender. And there was one on that day for the church a triumph such as the might of God alone could have secured a triumph which the ministry of the spirit whenever it is recognized and accepted is always powerful to repeat and to surpass all good comes to man through the spirit every inspiration of every individual is from him the lord and giver of light and life and understanding every good thought that rises within us every unselfish motive that stimulates us every desire to be holy every resolve to do what is right what is brave or noble or self-sacrificing comes to man from the Holy Ghost. He is instructing and directing us not only on special occasions, as when we read the Bible or meet for worship, but always, if we will listen for his voice. His personal indwelling in man as counselor and guide is the fulfillment of the promise, I will dwell in them and walk in them. 
he will guide you into all truth is an assurance of counsel and victory that is ever receiving fulfillment and that cannot be broken end of section twenty two